Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Claire Navarro. For today's episode, we'll again be hearing from intellectual historian David Hollinger, professor emeritus at the University of California, Berkeley. In our last episode with Hollinger, he talked about the split between more conservative and more liberal sides of Christianity, and how evangelical Christians have come to dominate conversations about religion in American politics. The midterm elections just earlier this week really drove this point home. As you've heard by now, Republicans won big across the country, and conservative Christian voters helped pave that path toward victory. Exit polls show that in the race for the U.S. House of Representatives, for example, 78% of white evangelical voters went Republican. Hollinger wrote about these types of trends in the essays found in his most recent book, After Cloven Tongues of Fire, Protestant Liberalism and Modern American History. Here's Dr. Hollinger. You look at liberal political views in the United States today, and you find that almost all, not all, uh, but the overwhelming majority of political liberals do not go to church at all. And you find that the overwhelming majority of political conservatives go to church and indeed go to church often. This is an example of the way in which religion has been highly politicized in the United States and how so many of the people whose ancestry was Protestant are now operating as secular liberals in the society as a whole. As we heard in our last episode with Dr. Hollinger, there's a long history behind why Christians in the U.S. are more likely to be conservative than liberal. For one, evangelical Christians simply tend to have more children than liberal Protestants. Yet despite losing the numbers game, according to Hollinger, the influence of liberal Protestantism can still be seen in American culture and politics today. Enter the post-Protestants. That's right, post-Protestants. And what does that mean exactly? Well, if we use the word post-Protestant, as, as I do, to refer to people that are not affiliated or actually affirming Protestantism, but who've importantly been shaped by it, uh, either through their own personal upbringing or a generation or so removed, but still affected by Protestant culture. If we use the term in that way, then uh, I think you could say that a lot of the secular liberals in the United States today are post-Protestant, and the things that they do, although influenced by many things other than their Protestant past, are also affected by that. For one historical real-world example, think about the writer Pearl Buck. Buck is best known for her novel The Good Earth, which won the Pulitzer Prize in 1932. She uh, repudiates the Presbyterians uh, in the 30s and moves further and further away from that. But yet, um, in her novels, the values that she expresses are very similar to what we would say a liberal Protestant might affirm. And the influence of her Protestant upbringing can be seen beyond her writing. Even though Buck rejected religion, the values and teachings of ecumenical Protestantism still affected her life and, according to Hollinger, 
influenced the types of humanitarian causes she took up in the 1950s and 60s. She spent a lot of her time organizing and uh, overseeing a project of transracial adoption because she found, accurately, that at the time of the Korean War, uh, many of the black soldiers from the United States impregnated uh, Korean women. And when these women birthed these children, they were rejected by Korean society. And so these black babies were uh, abandoned. And Pearl Buck organized a thing where these babies would be brought back to the United States and adopted here. So this was a, a radically universalist vision. This is right out of Galatians 3.28. It's a, it's, a, it's a universalist vision which doesn't have to have a Protestant foundation, okay? But in her case, it certainly did. Pearl Buck's life is just one example of a wider cultural trend. Think about the values associated with many secular liberals in the United States today. Their views on things like pluralism. Is the United States supposed to be something where there are lots of different people can be there? Well, the liberal Protestants thought that. Their views about same-sex marriage, their views about a lot of the political ideas are consistent with where the liberal Protestants went. Now, the liberal Protestants weren't the only people that got there, but the crucial thing is that many of today's secular liberals learned their liberalism from the liberal Protestants. There may be some skeptics among the listeners out there. After all, can't people decide to live a certain way or uphold certain values without linking those ideas back to religion? According to Hollinger's research and thinking, the answer is both yes and no. I would have to grant that this is a point that can be easily overdrawn. I mean, there are a lot of good ideas that can be made to sound silly if one pushes them too far. And I think uh, the idea of post-Protestant influence is an example of that. But yet, it's real. So basically, post-Protestant influence is real. But that doesn't mean that liberal Protestants have some sort of patent on these types of views. Other groups and other religions have been part of the trend. Indeed, a lot of this stuff comes from secular Jews. So the Jewish intellectuals had a huge influence on the liberal Protestants, and that was part of the whole diversity thing. Long before multiculturalism of the 90s, you had uh, liberal Protestants paying more and more attention to these uh, uh, Jewish artists and novelists and, uh, and uh, academics. And so they, there is this whole diversity thing that takes place prior to the 1960s and 70s. And that's, that's a, a foundation for how it is that so many liberal Americans today got where they are through liberal Protestantism. It's, again, it just happens to be the de demographic fact that so many of them started out as liberal Protestants, and that was the source of the particular insights that they have. Everything that you've been hearing from Dr. Hollinger was recorded last year when he visited Washington University's campus to give a lecture. Nobody knew what 2014 would bring, that the liberal post-Protestants that we've been talking about would get so heartily beaten in the midterm election. So think back to fall 2013. Then I asked him what he thought the future would bring. What might post-post-Protestantism look like? And how could that affect American politics? 
At the time, this is what he had to say. Well, we historians are generally pretty reluctant to hold forth about what's likely to happen in the future. I guess I would say that um, most of the trends that our sociologists, our historians, our survey researchers find these days, most of these trends go in a secular direction. So we talk a lot about the power of uh, evangelical Protestants, but um, a lot of the signs are that there is a uh, diminution of religious intensity on the part of all the populations outside of evangelical Protestantism and Hispanic Catholicism. Those are the two groups that are still the most religiously intense. Now, will this continue? Well, I think it well might. For the time being, however, it appears the political conversation around religion remains firmly fixed on the power of the evangelicals. Just yesterday, a headline in the Huffington Post read, White evangelicals help tip the scales for the GOP. A preliminary analysis from the Pew Research Religion and Public Life Project, also published yesterday, detailed Republicans' continued strong support from churchgoers across faiths. Though the country may be becoming more secular overall, especially compared to European countries like Denmark and Sweden, the U.S. is still very religious. So, once more, what might the future bring? Will we all eventually be some time, something like Denmark? Well, I doubt that. But we might be more like that than we are today. Many thanks once again to David Hollinger for contributing to Hold That Thought. For more on our series on religion and politics, be sure to visit our website, holdthatthought.wustl.edu. To keep up on the latest, follow us on Facebook or Twitter, or subscribe to our weekly podcasts on iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks for listening.